And cue music. I don't know how many of you have heard, but there's a flesh-eating virus going around. Yeah, it's called music. This is A-Sides, this is Brent, and this is Andy. And today, we are going to review some new releases. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of new albums that have came out the last, like, two weeks, right? We had, uh, uh, what, Midland was the 23rd, Vince Gill, Taylor Swift... And then we're going to be talking about uh, Tool that came out on the 30th. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a good uh, last couple weeks to prepare for the first episode. So I think there's plenty here to talk about. Um, if you want, start with the Midland. Midland, Midland. However the proper way is to say that, I guess. Now I'm overthinking something that doesn't really fucking matter or pertain, <laughs> pertain to what we're talking about. But the name of the new Midland album is Let It Roll. And I was not overly familiar with these guys before listening to this. I think I heard a couple songs. Oh, really? Checked out the last record a long time ago. But I think I only heard a couple songs. And uh, I went back and listened to it just before this one came out when it was on my radar. And I thought it was okay. I wasn't overly excited about it. But then I really liked this record. I don't know what your thoughts were on the last one, I guess. I had never heard of these guys at all until you had mentioned like this album for the podcast. And uh, it kind of actually not really blew me away, but it was kind of something that like I guess I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Right. Yeah, I... They kind of intrigued me just because their whole retro, you know, 1960s, 70s look. They have like a, I don't know how to really describe it. It kind of reminded me of... Like Starsky and Hutch or something yeah, on the album cover, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Like it almost looked like something uh, Graham Parsons, you know, would have sported back in the day. Back in like the Flying Burrito Brothers day. <laughs> so... I don't know. The whole the look and that kind of vintage retro 70s kind of thing, that swagger they got going on was, uh, I don't know, kind of caught my eye. And that's kind of probably the first thing that put them on my radar, to be honest with you, like um, when I checked them out before and just listened to a couple songs. But on that last album, they had... What was the name of the hit? I'm drawing a blank now. Something about it, it was a drinking song, like uh, on this one. No, it was on oh, the last okay. one. I guess I know we're supposed to be talking about the new one, but I guess the reason I kind of wrote them off, even though I wanted to like them because I thought they looked cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the song it was uh, it was a drinking song. It was just kind of a cliche. I mean, it was catchy and it was well written, but I guess. At the end of the day, I listened to it and was just disappointed. Like, ah, oh, man, just another one of these. So I dismissed them. And then putting in this new album, the opening song, Let It Roll, just kind of caught me right from the get-go. I mean, the the acoustic guitar riff, you know, at the beginning, like it's just it's catchy by itself right out the gate. Yeah. I was just like, ah, oh, shit, what is this, you know? 
And then when they kick in, it was kind of this, I don't know. It was kind of like a blend between kind of some of the Americana. Like, obviously there's a lot of that right now. But it kind of had a little bit of pop country in it, but not in a bad way. Like, it just, I don't know, grabbed you right away, you know. That was my first take. Uh, so I was instantly excited just listening to the one song. I was like, shit, I'm going to just buy this album. <laughs> like, I could listen to it for free, but I liked it so much that I just went ahead and I bought it. I was, you know, really this week in general, or that week, the 23rd, when uh, the bulk of these albums that we're going to talk about today came out, I was really, I was excited. I was like, man, there's like a handful of records I really want. And I just went and bought like five CDs at once. <laughs> yeah, you did. You, you know? sent me like a a text, like a picture, and you had just had like a stack of CDs. And yeah, it was great. I was like grocery shopping or something at Walmart. I don't even really remember why I was there, but it wasn't for that. And I was like, oh shit, they have like everything I want to listen to this week, which was odd because usually Walmart only has your basic shit. Like, yeah, you know. It actually worried me that Walmart carried it because I thought, ah, shit, is this going to suck? Like, is it was it just a fluke that I really liked that one song a lot? I guess I was a little bit different because you said you liked it kind of like right out of the gate. And, like, I looked up the album uh, to, like, pull it up on Apple Music, and I saw that cover. So I was thinking it was going to be, like, yeah, 70s, like, almost like Yacht Rock or something. But the right. first couple songs, they sounded to me like I'm not, like, a expert on it but it sounded like 90s country like yeah i don't like brooks and dunn or something like that so it took the first like two or three songs to kind of hook me and i was just kind of like eh, yeah like i'll sit with it and right. give it a try but then i think for me the one that uh hooked me was like the fourth Song It was like, put the hurt on me. And it sounded yeah. a lot like the Eagles. And even there's some harmonies at the end where they're like doing like a, ooh. Right. I don't know. It, it sounded like really good. Like we'll it was that, that kind of yacht rocky thing I was looking for. By the way, I have auto-tune, so we'll fix that note real quick. Oh, uh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, yeah, no, that's a good, Eagles is a, I didn't even think of it like that but yeah that song in particular has kind of got that Eagles vibe like it's a I don't know and that's the one it has the uh, there's like a guitar part that's kind of got that haunting Chris Isaac Wicked Games kind of yeah, thing yeah it's got on. like that really deep yeah sound and like the solo I guess yeah that was uh, that was one that didn't grab me the first time I listened to it oh really it was actually oh, like wow. the second listen when I sat down and was like okay you know I'm gonna you know, write up my notes for the show and everything. And so, yeah, I, I'd say just, you know, going through it kind of track by track. I mean, like the second song, 14 gears. Um, I thought that, that one didn't grab me right away either. That was one that kind of after like the second or third listen, you know, like at first I didn't really get why it was so early in the record. Cause it didn't really grab me, but but after a few a few listens, uh, had really cool lyrics, cool guitar work. I mean, this whole record kind of has a lot of really good steel guitar and cool just leads. I don't know. I mean, there's some. I don't know much about this band, so 
I don't really even remember whether they were a four-piece or what was going on. I mean, the record yeah. doesn't sound like they're a four-piece, so I don't know if there's, like, hired Yeah, I don't know or... either, because I think there's, like, actually three guys on the uh, album cover, but yeah. it sounded like there was more. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously mm-hmm. steel guitar and lead guitar and acoustic, and, you know, I, so I don't really know what the deal is if it's kind of like a uh, Rascal Flats thing where there's like three main guys and then everybody else is just kind of like a hired band kind of thing. But I'm assuming that's what's going on here. But yeah, Mr. Lonely, the third song, that one was probably, to me, the instant like, wow, this is like, it has to be the single, I would think. Yeah. I don't know if they did release it as a single. Uh my first thought was Dwight Yoakam. Like you can see in my note literally says Dwight Yoakam as fuck. I, I don't, that was just the shortest way to write it. But, uh, to me, it sounds like a Dwight Yoakam song and he sounds like the phrasing and just the way he sings it is, uh, so basically I would say if you're a Dwight Yoakam fan, particularly, you know, his classic stuff like guitars and Cadillacs and, the, you know, mid-80s to early 90s kind of country, like you said, Brooks and Dunn, that's the one that definitely is, like, right up that alley, I thought. Okay. Because, like, I didn't, like, I was just throwing that name out there. No, I mean. I don't really know a lot right. of, like. No, who? and there's only, and I just, Dwight Yoakam's almost my only reference point because he's almost off the top of my head. He's, like, the only country artist. I am a fan of from that era. Like, there's not a lot of... I, I just can't think of any other country artist, you know. But back when all that stuff was coming out and what... I, I was a kid, so, you know, some of it I wasn't even aware of just because I was only aware of whatever my mom was listening to in the car. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever the radio station was playing. Like, we built this city by Starship and all those other stuff. Oh, God. Terrible pop songs, but... <laughs> And then later when I got into music, like, being, you know, a young kid into my teenage years and everything, it was more uh, hard rock and metal. So I didn't go back and actually start getting into country until way later, probably, like, you know, right out of high school, late teens, early 20s, like, getting into, like, Johnny Cash and stuff and then starting to revisit stuff from my childhood that, you know, was like, wow, okay, this isn't really that terrible. <laughs> but when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, I don't listen to that shit. I listen to metal. But yeah, I don't, you know, my thought with this record, I would say it reminds me of like going into a bar in some really small town and like the jukebox <laughs> That's a- is playing and there's just people smoking in the bar. <laughs> and I mean, it made me want to like, find a place where you can still smoke in a bar and go get secondhand smoke and yeah. play pool on a beer-soaked pool table. And I mean, That's... I lived in Deer Creek for years. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, sorry to laugh, but that's exactly what I was thinking from those, like, like how I said I thought it was going to be a certain vibe, but it was way more country. Like, I was thinking the same thing. Those first couple songs... Sounded like something you'd hear like in a honky tonk bar with people doing line dancing, and I was trying to right. think. Of, I was like, I was thinking like I don't know. The only thing that could come to my mind was like Thelma and Louise, where they go right. out and they go to that like line dancing bar at the beginning of the movie. 
And I'm like, those are songs that were perfect for that. So I kind of liked how, yeah, I'm kind of really picky with country. Right. Like, I like the more country rock stuff, but I'm kind of slowly getting into that 90s stuff. Sure. So. But. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we're both like rock guys. And I think whatever your main genre is, yeah, you're like more lenient. But yeah, then, true. You know, like I feel the same way. Like there's almost no hip hop that I'm into. There's very few hip hop albums where I'm like, yeah, I fucking love that record. But it's yeah. like I either really like them or they're just shit. Yeah, like I yeah, hate exactly. Them. And I think country is the same way. Like, you know, it's gonna be interesting. Uh, reviewing all these albums, doing this podcast, because, you know, this first week, there was a lot of stuff that I feel like both of us are already fans of. And the coming ones, we're probably going to not get that lucky, and we're going to have to really listen to some shit that's going to exhaust us. And, you know, we're going to be like, fuck, I don't want to sit through this, but I have to. Um, But, yeah, I I really think... uh, Overall, for a country record, you know, and not necessarily a country record. It's not the kind of country record I would normally gravitate to. Like, it almost leans too too much towards the pop country thing, you know, than what I would yeah. normally. But, like, a good song is a good song, and this thing is just full of good songs. I think the last couple... Maybe haven't grown on me yet, getting the feel and roll away. Yeah, there was one at the end that I think they had a different singer on. I'm not really familiar with the band yeah. enough, but like, I've, yeah, I think it's Lost in the Night. Okay. Like that song yeah. has like a different singer, and I kind of liked it. It's got more of like a it's Taylor like a, Hawkins kind of uh, feel. I don't right. know. Like he's got a bit raspier of a thing going on. Yeah, because I liked how his voice, or even like Kenny Wright or something, it was kind of almost right. sounds like something Kenny would throw into like a Great Affairs album. Yeah, the whole thing, to me, that song felt like uh, Lost in the Night. It's not one that, like, I can't hear it in my head right now, but I remember just thinking it was like an 80s pop ballad. It had a little bit more of, like, an 80s pop feel. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure why I thought that. because uh, I, I kind of liked it. I thought it because I wrote it on this fucking piece uh. of paper right here. <laughs> but... I just kind of liked how they did that kind of well. They did do, like, the 70s, like, Yacht Rocky kind of thing on some songs. Yeah. But then some of them were, like, 90s, so they kind of went back and forth. But it didn't sound like it was, like, a two separate bands. It, it still sounded right. like the same band. No, they had some really interesting, like, breakdowns and, like, uh, really cool bridges in the middle. Like, even the first song, Let It Roll, it almost sounds like a different song for a minute, Like it, which is really for it being the opening track and it sounds like it could be a single but then it has this really interesting thing in the middle that kind of doesn't really follow your typical formula you know it just yeah and it's almost like fuck did wait is it a different song now and then it kicks back in and it, you know it it's an interesting record for I mean there's a lot of songs that do that that have those really cool bridges in them where they're really different not typical um cheating songs that song was I mean it literally it just it is exactly what the fuck it's called like it's your cliche cheating song you know it's like 
an old Conway Twitty song. Yeah. And then, you know, Put the Hurt on Me, like you had already mentioned, I mean, it just has great harmonies. The Eagles thing. Now I want to go back and listen to it. And, I mean, you're probably basing that on the harmonies, I guess. But now I want to hear what you're talking about, <laughs> you know? Yes, because right at the end where it kind of fades out, they kind of, like, do, like, some, like, harmonies there at the end. That was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, and there's, like, I don't know. There's there's moments that don't. Like, I Love You, Goodbye. It's a really good breakup song. It's, like, a yeah. well-written breakup song. It's exactly what you... Uh, would expect it to be based on the title and then there's every song's a drinking song which reminds me of whatever the song was I was trying to reference from the last record um it's similar in title and I am just drawing a blank but um but it's kind of cliche obviously it's yeah to me it's like they put these on there intentionally they they, they know that if they release that as a single it's probably going to make him some money somewhere. Yeah, get some airplay or something. Yeah, because there's some dumb fuck somewhere that just will, woo, every time a song (laughs) like that comes on in a bar, you know. These guys play live, and if they're not, if they don't have the audience in the palm of their hand, then they just got to bust into one of those songs, and then all the drunk assholes that are out there bored out of their minds, fucking screaming for Leonard Skinner, are gonna you know hold their beer up? Woo, yeah, I'm fucking drinking. <laughs> I think that shit's designed to be that way on purpose. I think that they probably know what they're doing. Like every fucking record's gonna have one of those. Yeah, you know, which bums me out. It kind of, you know, doesn't do much for the uh, integrity of the record, in my opinion. But then at the same time, it's not like a terrible song. I just wish they would, yeah. weren't leaning towards that. Like, I, I wish they didn't... I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking the whole Maybe thing they're almost kind of making fun of that or something. Yeah, How country so much is that? Because that's why I don't even... I don't even go near new country. Like, how yeah. I was saying, I'm kind of, like, getting more into country. But it's the older stuff. Like, the new stuff is all, like... Yeah, yeah, fireball shots and stuff. So, see, yeah. maybe they're I mean, there's no blue that. jeans referenced, you know. <laughs> or, uh trucks i don't remember there being any lyric there might have been yeah there was a lyric about a truck well the 14 uh gears or whatever yeah yeah but i mean that was like a well-written but i do feel like uh there was maybe a song on here that did kind of have like the pickup truck lyric i can't remember without going through the lyrics which would be a really fucking boring show to listen to um since I like the album so much, I'm just gonna go with that that they're just making fun of the yeah. Uh, I mean, it doesn't the current really, country. It doesn't really offend me. I guess it's like I didn't change it. Like I've listened to the album several times now, and I don't skip over it. Uh, I just it's just one of those things when I think about it. I wish they didn't do that. But then you know, 21st century honky tonk American band. Yeah, that's kind of the that one. I don't know. I like it because it's got, again, it's got that bridge that where it goes into like this real, like you keep re- referencing Yacht Rock, and that's <laughs> what uh, the bridge in this kind of reminds me of. Like it gets real, real mellow, super easy listening. You know, sounds like something my fucking grandparents 
would have listened to, I guess, or maybe my parents. I don't really know. But <laughs> I didn't think it was a bad song. I didn't think it was a great song. It wasn't like the standout. It's kind of, it sounds like the title, you know? It sounds exactly like you read the title, then you listen to the song, you're like, yeah. You know, I got, <laughs> it wasn't false advertising. Like, it just sounds like a fucking song that a bar band would play. Like, it sounds like it should be played in a bar, which to me is the bulk of this stuff. Fast Hearts and, s- yeah, Fast Hearts and Slow Towns. That one, I think maybe, maybe the pickup trucks in this song. I'm not sure. I know it was in there somewhere, goddammit. Maybe even, there might have been like, tight jeans on a girl and maybe a Friday night was referenced somewhere in there. I don't know. To anyone listening to this, they're probably going to think I'm just a fucking idiot because if they actually listen to the song and I'm totally off point, did you even listen to this album? I think at this point I'm just making shit up. Like I'm like, (laughs) I don't remember the lyrics to this song. So I'm just, you just want to pick up Trek on there. So I just want, yeah, I like this record so much that I just want to find reasons to not like it. Uh, there was one thing that was kind of interesting that I noticed. Like, I didn't really research the band too much, but how um, we were saying earlier, like, um, about how many people actually played on the album and stuff. I went to yeah. Wikipedia because I thought that would have maybe the credits, like, because it usually says like personnel or something or who, right? Who uh, plays on the album? And on the Wikipedia page, it had one of the producers listed was this guy, Dan Huff. And that name stood out to me because Dan had two N's. And usually people, it's just D-A-N. Right. And I was like, that name is familiar. And I was like, I know I've seen that guy's name credited on other albums. And I was thinking it was Megadeth, like Risk. And it actually was. And I went oh, well, fuck him then. back. <laughs> He's responsible <laughs> so for that's that. That's why you don't like it. But yeah, <laughs> like, he produced... That album, and then it says he's got a son that's, like, big as, like, a studio musician, so it's, like, must be a like hmm. family uh, kind yeah. of thing. But I didn't really research him too much, but I just wanted to clarify in my head that that was who I was thinking of. Right. So it's just kind of weird how he's, like, produced that, like, 20 years ago, and now he's, like, doing a lot of country stuff. I think he's predominantly country, is what yeah. it listed from his credits. Well, at least he's good at that, because I'm not sure what... Involvement he had in Risk, but that is the worst fucking Megadeth record ever. <laughs> I could we, we don't want to get off track too much, but I could, I will say that I could probably do an entire episode just bashing on that fucking album. Maybe we uh, should then, because I like I don't actually lied, hate it man. as much as like I don't. It's not a good Megadeth album, but I think there's some good stuff that's actually on it. Like, I think my least favorite is, like, Super Collider. Hmm. Yeah, that it was, was basically, kind of like, Risk, like, ten too. years later. They did another uh, Risk, almost. Yeah, that was a terrible record. Hmm. Like, the Super Collider song itself is just terrible. It's like, why would you even put that as your title track, too? Yeah. God damn it. We could probably do a yeah. whole episode on Megadeth. I'm sure we will, some way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, I don't, to wrap this record up, I think that, you know, the only other thing I would probably mention as far as like the last two songs, which I kind of already said this, but they didn't do a lot for me. I felt like that get in the feel song live, like it would go over well live if I'm like six beers in and 
Like, it's one of those songs I might, you know, kind of feel it then, but it wasn't grabbing me. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't write a damn thing about the last song. Yeah, like, it I kind of... kind of did nothing for me, yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt like, like, I liked the album as it kind of went, but then... Um, I guess I kind of it ended up being like background music for me the yeah. last couple songs, but it wasn't like bad at all. It just kind of they just kind of faded. Yeah, I mean it. You know, together. It's a solid record, but like there's not a bad song, but then there's just definitely songs that don't stand out. I I guess mostly just the last two. Now I'm sitting here looking at the track listing again and I'm thinking, ah, this is. A, I mean, it's a solid record. You know, it's just kind of a bummer when you have something that solid and then the last couple of songs kind of just die. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it doesn't go out with a bang. And I mean, there's a lot of songs on this. This day and age, there's not too many bands that really bother putting more than like 10 songs on a record. And for it to have 14, it's like, shit, I think I just would have trimmed the fat and taken those last couple off and had a more solid record. But. Maybe they'll grow, you know? You said the record grew on you and didn't grab you right out the gate. For me, it was kind of the opposite. Um, Some of the songs I did, they did grow on me. Uh, But yeah, there was, I mean, but there was a handful of them that just right out the gate were grabbed me and were great, I thought. So we don't have to spend much more time on this unless you're... I would just say that Midland was like the best album of the batch that we're uh, going to talk about. I guess yes and no for me. It'd be a good way to segue into the Vince Gill album. Oki. I guess I say yes and no with the Midland being my favorite. It's probably my favorite, as in, I've probably listened to it the most and enjoyed it the most. But I feel like the Vince Gill record is the better record. It's I don't know what your thoughts were on this album. I don't know if it was really like in your wheelhouse of stuff you normally listen to. It's not, actually, yeah. It's kind of that, like I've never really listened to Vince Gill and I'm not too familiar right. with him except for that he's married Amy Grant and now he's like um, in the Eagles. And yeah. that's about the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, he's been around for years. I don't really, I'd say early 80s, but I don't really know exactly when. I mean, some of these guys had records back before that, and they just didn't blow up until later and and whatever, so I'm not super knowledgeable to where I know when his first record came out. But uh, when I was a kid, I was actually very aware of him because my grandma was, like, in love with him. And my mom took her to see him at the Civic Center and my brother went because he was like young and he was into like country like you know I think him and my mom were like cranking the Billy Ray Cyrus album all the time (laughs) and I was like 14 I want to say yeah because I'm like your brother's age right yeah yeah he's 35 yeah so yeah so I didn't go because at that age, like I mentioned before, like I was all like at that point, I was like getting into the heaviest shit. I've, you know, like Pantera was big at the yeah. time and Nine Inch Nails. And so it was like, fuck Vince Gill. I don't want to fucking go see Vince Gill. <laughs> Shit's stupid, you know. And so I didn't go. And I remember 
I rode with my dad to pick them all up down there, and my grandma's just like, oh, you would have liked it. He's he's such a good guitar player. I, he can really play the guitar, Brent. You would have you would have loved it. And I'm just thinking, yeah, okay, whatever, grandma. Like, I just thought, whatever. She's in love with this guy. What the fuck does she know? Yeah. And she's you know, and she's old. She's my grandma. We don't have the same musical taste. And then years later, I find out like, no, he this guy is really one of the best fucking guitar players in the industry like he is hot shit for sure so he's kind of one of those like keith urban's the same way like a lot of people don't realize they just think oh yeah keith urban he's got all those shitty pop country songs yeah at least in my opinion i don't care for his stuff but he's like a mean fucking guitar player and uh and yeah vince gill is he's the shit when it comes to that but then like you, you don't know it because on his records I mean, a few years back, he put out an album called Guitar Slinger. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, he's going to finally throw down and shred on this record. <laughs> you know? And then I buy it, and I'm like, what the fuck, Vince? Where's all the guitar playing? Like, there's just, it's song-oriented still, you know? Which is great, because he's a great songwriter. And so, obviously, like, later on in my adult life, I go back and I start listening to Vince Gill, and I'm like, Jesus, man, this guy has some great songs. You know? And now I'm old enough to where I appreciate that. And I'm not afraid to be like, hey, this man has a beautiful voice. You know, no wonder my grandma was obsessed with him, you know. Plus, he's got those pretty little blue eyes. I think that's what, <laughs> I think that's really what it was. But And now yourself writing songs, it's like you can kind of like pick out uh, stuff from his songs, right? You kind of Yeah, I mean, like, I appreciate things totally on a different more. level than I did back then. I mean, you know, now I totally gravitate more towards a lot of the singer-songwriter stuff, which I think is why I like this new album. Because Oki's like a... It's a really singer-songwriter record. It's very personal. Um, the opening track, I Don't Want to Ride the Rails No More. Uh, though it, on the surface, is definitely just like a pop song. I mean, it's not pop, but I mean, it's like... You throw it in, you're like, yeah, this is probably the single. Like, right out the gate, you're like, yeah, this is probably the single. Uh, but it's, you know, you can tell the lyrical content's pretty personal. I mean, I didn't dive into the lyrics. Having to review this many records in, like, a short period of time, I didn't have a lot of time to really absorb myself in it and figure out what he's talking about, which is always subjective, and you don't know anyhow, but, you know, to me... Just my first thought listening to it was, you know, probably just him reflecting on, like, his younger years as a touring musician or something and whatever shit he got into, you know, don't want to go down that road anymore kind of thing. Um, which then kind of the second song, The Price of Regret, probably, I, I don't know, maybe to me just those two songs kind of mean the same thing. But I don't know what your thoughts were on this one in particular. It was kind of one where, almost like the Midland, you like picked these, and I'm like, oh, those are obviously country albums. So right. I'm, I was kind of like, in my head, I'm kind of like, ugh, Wouldn't country. Wouldn't be on your radar. Right? But I kind of like that this is a way to listen to more stuff that I wouldn't um, normally listen to. Or he's been like doing that 500 Rolling Stone albums. It's right. like a... It's a way to kind of maybe get out of my like wheelhouse or something right. in a way and try out something. Expand your palate a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so it's like I didn't uh, 
it was something where I listened to it. I think it came out that uh, 23rd, uh, the same week as Midland and, like, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Uh, so I, I listened to it the Saturday morning the next day. So it was one of those things where it was kind of like I was just kind of lounging around in the morning. So it kind of, like, worked, I guess, with that kind of – it kind of had the vibe for uh, something just kind of chilling. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's still, like, a thing where I guess it was different than I thought – I. Th- I figured Vince Gill, okay, it's going to be that 90s country. Not to go back to Brooks and Dunn, but I thought it would be more of that kind of country. But I kind of, different than I expected, uh, because it was like that singer-songwriter kind of vein. And I kind of like the one where he's singing about his mom, like the letter to his mom. I really like that song. It was kind of like a... I guess I like some of those kind of sentimental ones. And the one about his wife, Amy, when Amy prays, he that, finds grace. I kind of like those two songs the right. best, even though they might sound cheesy, but I kind of like the heartfelt. Right. No, I agree with you on that. Actually, when my Amy prays was, it was the standout song to me. Um, and I think that someone listening to it maybe the first time would kind of be like, okay, yeah, this seems kind of cheesy, you know, but... I Vince Gill's an interesting guy because, you know, he's relatable in the sense that, okay, so he's got some obvious Christian songs. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some Christian belief there. His wife is yeah, obviously having a Christian career um, in the Christian music industry. I always find it interesting. I'm not really much of a man of faith, you know, but... When you have, like, the Christian music as a genre seems so phony to me. Everything I hear, they're trying to sell me something. That's how it feels. It's like I'm listening to a fucking car commercial or something. I I don't know. Like, they're trying to sell you something. And I think that that, you know, that kind of is the idea. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole, like, boy band pop industry thing. People are intentionally piecing this shit together to try to sell you a product rather than just, like, something real, like, music that has substance. Yeah, it's kind of like, sorry to uh, interject this, but it is like that South Park thing, the Faith Plus One, where it's like these cheesy songs, but I think they did it where they were taking, like, what, religious songs and making them love songs, and around that time when I saw the episode, I I was thinking the opposite. You could take... Like, love songs and just flip them or something. Like, I think they did the opposite of what I was thinking, but it was kind of funny how I saw the episode when I was kind of thinking. Because uh, really, it's like, Second. you can basically, yeah, take love songs and make them Jesus. Yeah, and you just take Jesus, Jesus and just switch the name, and it's the right. same thing. It just seems really hokey to me. Like, force. But I like... It is, but... I think yeah. what you're saying, he's kind of... But he's real. Like, when he writes it, like, yeah. you know it's real. Like, the guy has a song where he says, son of a bitch, yeah, and pisses me off, I think is a lyric in one of the songs. It says something about pissing him off or something. Okay. But then two songs later, he's got a song about uh, the Red Words, I think was another song on there that has, uh, you know, it's obviously kind of based around his Christian faith. And to me, that's just real. Like, I don't really believe in that stuff. You know, I don't know what I believe, and we're not going to get into that whole fucking thing, but... Yeah, he's not, like, preaching to you. But I something. like... Yeah, I mean, I can... It's like Johnny Cash, okay? Like, my mother's hymn book. It's an entire fucking record of hymns, you know? 
all Christian songs, obviously. Hmm. And you can listen to it and enjoy it, even if you're not... That's not your belief. Because you can tell he fucking believes it. And he believes every word he's singing, and it's real, and it's, you know... Like, it's just real. And I think that's yeah. what resonates with people, is if you believe the... Uh, if you believe the singer, then it doesn't really matter what they're singing about and whether you can really relate to it. You could probably relate to it in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I think that was the great thing about that song, When My Amy Prays. It was like a different kind of Christian song in the sense that he's he's being pretty open and real and saying that, like, you know, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not that good at exercising my faith and being a Christian, putting it first or whatever, he's kind of stating that through his wife, like she's kind of his glue that keeps him together. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Everything. Like and his anchor. Yeah. And I, so it's like, yeah, I mean, is it cheesy? I guess if you have like a chip on your shoulder towards the whole Christian religion, then you might just listen to it and be like, ah, oh, it's fucking stupid, man. But, it's like, no, it's not. It's real. Like, that's real. That's a man and his wife. And, I mean, he puts, he wears it all on his fucking sleeve on this record. Yeah. And I think that's what I like so much about it is, you know, there's a song later on the record that uh, that old man of mine, I think that's the one I was talking about. He, he refers to his dad as, you know, that son of a bitch or something. One of the lyrics in there, I can't remember it exactly. but And I don't even know if that's about his dad. I mean... You assume it is, but he might just be yeah. taking on a character and he might be writing from somebody else's perspective. Maybe he had a conversation with somebody about how their dad used to beat the shit out of him. And it's not really about his dad, but he's just writing through that person's eyes or whatever. Or maybe it's about his dad. <laughs> you know? I mean, on the surface, that's what it seems like. Is it's, it's about growing up with a, with a dad that, you know gets drunk and slaps the shit out of you and your mom and I you know can't relate to that at all thank god but um but yeah so I mean that was a I thought that was a pretty interesting point in the in the record too and the song before that nothing like a Guy Clark song I really like that song I like Guy Clark yeah I figured when I saw that title it was gonna kind of uh, stand out for you yeah I didn't even, you know, I, this wasn't one where I was looking at the track list, listing when I was listening to it. Like, I popped this one in in my car. And the, the strange thing about this is it's probably the least likely to listen to in a car. Like, it doesn't sound like a record that you would yeah, drive yeah. around with the windows rolled down cranking. But yet, ever since I bought this batch of albums, like, that CD was in my CD player the whole time, like hmm. up until yesterday, <laughs> you know? So I've spent like two solid weeks just driving around listening to this. I feel like this album, as a piece of work, as a whole album, works better than any of the other albums on our list that we're doing today. That's why I kind of say like, to me, the Midland record had like the standout songs that really grab you at first. It had more of those. But this... This record is flawless. Like, there's to me, there wasn't a bad song on it. I mean, the Midland record, I guess there wasn't really a bad song either. But there were songs where 
like I said, the last couple songs, I got bored, you know? Yeah. This album, it's just about over, and then all of a sudden, you know, second to last song, That Old Man of Mine, all of a sudden it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute, this song has some grit, you know? And it's obviously touching on a deep subject. So, I don't know. I mean, this is just a really solid record. I feel like the second half picks up and gets great. Like you said, you like that letter to my mama. And that's, you know, the ninth song, way late in the record, yeah. and that was the one that stood out to you. You know, it's hard. I guess it's easier if I have shit to bitch about, to, like, drum up things to say, oh. but I don't have a lot. I just liked it. It's a personal album, you know. Obviously, he is doing some... Uh, he's reflecting on a lot of things when he, when he was writing these songs, but yet it's probably my favorite record out of the batch (laughs) but i don't i think that's why i don't have a lot to say because it's like i don't know what is there to say like a good song is a good song and this is just one good song after another for me it didn't like resonate with me like that but i know what you mean how sometimes you just like something because you like it and it's just like it just kind of right strikes a chord with you yeah and i mean he pays tribute to his heroes you know with the Nothing Like a Guy Clark song and A World Without Haggard, the last song. So, I mean, to me, like, I think I already said this, but, I mean, he's just kind of wearing it all on his sleeve, man. Like, mm-hmm. he's just, he's an open book on this record. And I think that's really cool. Don't worry about cracking that. Okay. The audience can know that we're just sitting here at 10 a.m. getting fucking hammered. <laughs> it's really not 10 a.m., it's almost noon, but we are drinking, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Hey, well, we're talking about drinking songs and stuff, too. Yeah, well, we couldn't review the Midland record without drinking because, like the song says, every song's a drinking song if you're drinking. So now, every fucking song we're going to talk about is a drinking song. I need some drinks to get through Tool. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that one for last, I think, just because it was the most recent release, and... I figure by that point, I'll have enough of these uh, Bloody Marys and maybe move on to one of your spiked Arnold Palmers over there. So, if you don't have much more to say about the Vince Gill thing. Uh, no, I don't. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't. It didn't strike a chord with me. It was right. kind. Of, it was just interesting. Well, it's okay, it's okay to yeah. be wrong, Andy. You can be wrong yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> no, it, I get it. You know, it's one of those... I think those kind of records are just an acquired taste. You know, it doesn't have the uh, the standout pop song, really. I mean, the yeah, because maybe I do need some hooks or something too. Like the Midland had some hooks, right? Yeah, and I mean, if you don't really listen to, if you weren't already a fan of Vince Gill, then maybe you just, you know don't know what to think of it if that's your first yeah if if, yeah maybe it wasn't a good introduction yeah i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't uh like turn my nose up at any other vince gill like i'm not listening to like a greatest hits or something to get more of a feel he has beautiful eyes and a beautiful voice so and that hair too looking at some of those old albums i was flipping through apple music he had kind of like the big was that pompadour yeah kind of hairstyle yeah yeah, well, I'm glad you didn't, you know, completely diss on him. Or yeah, anything. 
Because I, if you're gonna sit here and tell me that my grandma was wrong, then I'm gonna get mad. I'm gonna get defensive. <laughs> fight for my grandmother's yeah. honor. No, but uh, you know, it was uh, it was cool to do that record. So I think next we might as well just jump right into talking about Taylor Swift. I think, Who was country? I, I think that and now was, she's not. Yeah, so it's kind of a segue. I yeah, guess. so now we're yeah we're segueing. We went from like kind of a pop country Americana record into straight up singer songwriter country to whatever the fuck Taylor Swift is now. Yeah, because I don't even know, but I will say that I am a Tay Tay fan. Yeah, I think we both are. This was the one I was the most hyped up for out of the uh, group. Yeah. I can say that... I don't know if that's the case with me. I didn't... You know, the last record, Reputation, was such a letdown to me. And I know I think you already said you weren't a fan of it. Yeah. I loved... You know, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit here. I'll give my Taylor backstory... Sure. Because everyone has a story of when they fell in love with Tay-Tay. Did people call her Tay-Tay? Is that a thing, or did I just come up with that? I think there's, like, Tay-Tay, but then there's, like, T-Swift, so it's, like, uh, whatever you want to... Hmm. I just want to come up with something I can fucking copyright, so then when she starts using it, she has to pay me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that works that way either, but... <laughs> so you're a Swiftie or whatever they are. I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, when she first came out, I pretty well had the opinion of her that, you know, okay, she sucks. Yeah. This is everything that's fucking wrong with country music nowadays. I hated her. And then I caught the video. There was some weird, like, MTV-style music video uh, TV station that just came up out of nowhere. It was so short-lived. Yeah. This was like whatever year um, Speak Now came out. The album was Speak Now. And there was a song called Back to December. And that that music video came on one night, and I'm sitting there, maybe just drinking a beer, probably, because I don't know why the fuck else I would just be sitting there watching a shitty music video station. Because it sure as hell wasn't, like, cool like MTV was back in the day. But So this video came on, and I was like, ah, fuck, here we go. Taylor Swift. But then I sat through it. Yeah. And I mean, by the end of the first verse, I was like, wait a fucking minute. Like, this is different. Like, this is a really good goddamn song. I, I It completely fucking pulled me in. And next thing I know, like, I'm having to buy this album. Like, I'm obsessed with this song. I'm like, this is the best fucking song of the hmm. year. Like, I don't even remember what year it was off the top of my head. But Was it like 08 or around It was there? somewhere around then, yeah. Because um, actually... The reason I broke down and bought the album wasn't just because of that song. But my daughter was, let's see, she would have been, I feel like it had to have been later than that. Oh, was it 2010? I can't remember. Well, because... Because I know I want to say uh, she was Red like, was 2012, so... Okay, they may, that's, you know what, that could be right. She would have been 11, so that's probably about, yeah, that's probably about right. That sounds right. And she wanted to do, she had like a talent show at the school, right? So mm-hmm. she wanted to learn um, either the song Mean, which was on Speak Now, or 
um, Love Story, which was on one of the previous albums. I'm not sure which one. I, which I do when I listened to that song, I was like, God, this is a great fucking song. But we didn't end up learning. She asked me to play guitar for her, so so I had to learn these songs. And this was kind of where my respect kind of grew for Taylor because I learned that love song, and I was like, God, this is actually really cool. Like, this is a really well written song, and you know, we ended up not doing that one because there was like a key change on the last chorus and you know I mean my daughter was 11 great singer but she was 11 and it was a hard fucking key change like even back then Taylor Swift couldn't pull that shit off I've seen live videos from that era and she was pretty terrible live but um so anyhow we ended up going with that mean song and I was like ah this is really catchy like it was a catchy pop song you know and I hate to sound like a dork but I'm a dad and I thought that, you know, it had like a nice anti-bullying message yeah. in it, you know? So I was kind of like, oh, you know, like, I'm glad my daughter's listening to this. You know, even though later she just got into Slayer and everything went up and downhill. <laughs> but, <laughs> but while she was that cute, innocent 11-year-old, you know. And then you're like, yeah, she's still my daughter, so. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, I don't even know where the fuck I was going with this story, other than the fact that that's why I bought that record, that's why I initially got into her, and then I thought there was some really great songs, and Back to December was a fucking great song, and then Red came out, and the first single was that We Are Never Getting Back Together or whatever, or We Are Never Never Never, I don't even know how many yeah. nevers are in that, but I feel like there's a lot. I'm not going to sing that one. Yeah, no, and I hated it. I was like, Jesus, come on. Like, this is fucking terrible. How did she go from back to December to this? Like, this is a terrible fucking single. So I didn't buy the album at first. And then I don't remember why I bought it. I think I came across it used. Mm -hmm. And I was like, eh, you know, that other one had some cool songs on it, you know, other than just the stuff on the radio. So maybe this will. Maybe this will have some stuff that's worth listening to. So I picked it up for super cheap, and then I'm just like, I popped it in the first time. I was like, fuck, man, that is a great, still probably my favorite Taylor Swift album. Like, it is just a solid, and that was weird because it had some stuff that was kind of rock. There was yeah. still some that was kind of country, but that was definitely the record where it was like, okay, I don't even know what the fuck she is anymore. Like, she's merging into this other thing. Yeah. That, um, You know, I'm sure, like, a lot of people probably dog on her for not staying true to her roots, you know, or, you know, being pop country initially. I hated her, I guess, you know. <laughs> but I'm sure that people that now she's like full-blown pop, people are probably like, oh, you sold sell out. out. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't need to sell out. Jesus Christ. She was already doing the most popular thing in the fucking world and making millions of dollars. Yeah. Like, so she didn't sell out. I think she really just grows as an artist. I think she really yeah. honestly does. I think she wants to fucking do everything. Yeah. And I kind of respect that, not wanting to just be pigeon-held into this one thing. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I get that. I really, I really do. I think that if, you know, I mean, obviously I am a singer and a songwriter and blah, 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 but I'll say if I was an artist that anybody gave a fuck about, <laughs> like, I wouldn't want, like, if, you know, I wouldn't want to be that artist that had to keep releasing the same fucking shit just to hold my audience i wouldn't want the record label coming at me being like you know hey this doesn't sound like the last thing you did what the fuck is this 
And she probably had that conversation somewhere along the line and just gave the middle finger and put it out anyhow because she's fucking Taylor Swift yeah. and do whatever the fuck she wants. At this point, she probably tells motherfuckers what's going to happen and how it's going to be. Like, you know, she probably just walks in and says, look, I got this new record. It's a fucking reggae record. I'm going to put it out and it's going to sell millions because <laughs> I'm Taylor Swift and I do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> you know, and good for her. Somewhere along the line, I feel like it's going to bite her in the ass. Like, she's going to get too carried away, and she's going to do something ridiculous. I hope it's not a reggae record, because I fucking hate reggae. But she might. Or just full-blown fucking gangster rap. I don't know. Yeah. But she seems to be really... I mean, because then after Red, it was 1989... And I felt like she really won over a whole new fan base with that record because I don't even know how to describe that record because it's not really pop because it has some, like, I don't know, like, grittier songs. Yeah. Like, it's polished, but yet it's dark in spots. And, I mean, Ryan Adams loved it so much. He was like, fuck it, I'm going to cover the whole thing. I'm going to re-record it with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And put my own spin on it. That's how great of a record this is. That was kind of not to like uh, talk over your uh, Taylor Swift like. No, oh, go ahead. I know introduction, but that's kind of my all. entry point. Was like uh, Jimmy Eat World covered that uh, "We Are Never Getting Back Together" song, and I was like, really? "What? Why are they doing this?" And I think they even did it live when I saw them in like 2013, and then like the year, uh, the year or two later. Um, uh, Ryan Adams did 1989, so I'm like, okay, if there's these artists who I actually like, who are actually going to cover her songs, maybe there's more to it than I'm um, right. seeing or something. Because I would hear, uh, like Nash FM or whatever, or it was River Country then. I'd go in the studio and it would usually be like a Taylor Swift song or something. So it all kind of blended together. All the country stuff kind of ran together. Right. So I just kind of really wasn't into it, but. Yeah, that 1989 one uh, was kind of like, I listened to Ryan Adams, and then I think I kind of listened to hers, and I think you were saying Ryan's didn't really grab you as much. Yeah, but it I didn't think at there's all. some songs of his that really grab me more than hers, but then there's some of hers that are like, I don't know, I don't need another version. They're just too perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. That record is... I don't know how to describe it other than the fact that I felt like she just took the formula that she was following prior to that and ripped it the fuck up and threw it out the window. Like, she just yeah. she just did this other thing. Like, it sounded like nothing she had ever done. And it kind of sounds like no other record anyone's ever done it's if anything if i was going to compare it to any other band i would compare it to like a u2 record just in the sense that there's a lot of like the delay and the sounds and the you know what i mean like it's atmospheric and yeah i don't know but um you know i felt like red she eased her way into that one it was like the bridge to what she wanted to do going from country to pop and that's kind of the uh one that you had mentioned as being like uh, like red's probably my favorite too because it's got the best mix of like the country. There's even rock, state of grace. That yeah, started, that album song is the shit. Yeah, yeah, and then there's still the stuff that's kind of like the ballady, like duets. Because I think right. she did like the Ed, the Ed Sheeran song. Yeah, 
Yeah, so so it's got like and all too well is like still my favorite fucking Tay Tay song. I'm gonna keep saying Tay Tay, no matter how yeah. stupid I sound. That's still like just such a fucking amazing song. And actually, Rustin Kelly just released a cover of that a couple oh, yeah. months ago. Yeah, like two or three months ago, he put out just as a single. He covered all too well, and it's good. And I really like his stuff. But like honestly, after listening to it a couple times, I'm like, yeah, hey, just give me the Taylor version. <laughs> just give me, just give me hers back, you know. But I always, you know, I, the thing I love about her is the fact that you know, it's the one thing I can listen to that my kids are into. Like my, both of my kids, they're young, and they're songs that you know, they really like. That usually aren't the ones I really like. But I could put a Taylor Swift album on, and I'll be like, "Oh, I love this song. Isn't this song great, kids?" No, I just get to the next one. Like they just—they <laughs> just want to get to the one they can dance and act yeah. stupid to. Shake think, it off. Or I something. think that's why she's so fucking brilliant, though. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I, I guess we could finally actually start talking about the new record. But I feel like this is the perfect example of, you know, she has really great songs what I would consider really great songs. Um, but then she has songs that are just, I guess what I would call the dumbed down pop songs. Uh, not trying to insult anyone's taste, but you, you have shitty taste. No, I, <laughs> it's a good way to start the first. Probably episode. I'll admit, I probably that. do have shitty. Taste. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the audience. Oh. Sorry. I should have, I was trying to make eye contact with the microphone when I said that, but, um, no, I don't think you have shitty taste. I think that, you know, we'll just go right into this record because it's probably the best way to spark more conversation about what I'm trying to, what message I'm yeah. trying to convey and I'm doing poorly at. But the opening <laughs> track, I forgot that you existed. I'm going to let you take the wheel on this one because. Oh, I, all right. I can probably fucking go. I will. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, that's the opening track, but I know that she put out four songs um, in advance of right. the album, and we'd actually like we didn't really discuss the album, but we discussed uh, those songs, singles, yeah. And I think you kind of didn't like some of those, but you liked "Lover," like the title track. You're like, all right, that's pretty. Yeah, good. that was fucking brilliant, you know. So I think maybe like uh, with this album, I really wanted to like it more than I ended up liking it. And uh, I guess starting off with that first track is kind of a good example. I was like, she put out those four songs, Lover, The Archer, Me, and I can't think of the other one. The really shitty one, in Uh, my opinion. You need to calm down. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. But that one, uh, the one that starts the album... It, it seemed like a nothing track that should have been, like, later in the album. Oh, it shouldn't have even been on the record. It's yeah. so fucking bad. Yeah, like, I was like, you're going to start your album with this? Like, it... it yeah. Right like, how we gate. talked about uh, State of Grace on Red. That oh, is, dude. like, a really good... Yeah, kicks in the nuts. Like, boom, yeah, it does. It's kind of got that drum beat that yeah. you, you can kind of tap your foot to. But then this is just... Uh, uh What? I Yeah, I, I don't, don't even get it. Like, I... Other than the fact that, you know, she has a pretty diverse fan base. I guess that's what I was trying to, that was that message I was trying to convey, that I was doing such yeah. a terrible job at getting my point across. But 
she has this demographic of, you know, like the mid-20s girls that are going through all these fucking breakups. Like half of yeah. her songs are about breakups, right? And yeah, yeah. Relationships. And so I'm sure that somewhere there's a bunch of these like 25-year-old girls that just went through a shitty breakup. And then they hear that, I forgot that you existed, right? And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tay-Tay. You fucking said it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to fucking forget that he existed. Yeah. And that'll show him. I don't know. I. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible fucking song, but... Uh, the way I could ration it as, like, in my head, thinking uh, that that being the title track is maybe because, yeah, her... Her fans are more, not us, like the 30-year-old guys. It's the 20 and the teenagers or your kids. And they're not album-based. They're more singles-based. So the singles are going to, like, sell uh, the album, um, you know, because you didn't like the, um, you need to calm down. But that's basically her signature style. So that's going to... It's basically, that's what's going to hook the kids. Yeah. Uh, But we're, like, more from the rock style where you've got these hard, like, balls-out rock songs that always right. start albums, and she doesn't have to do that. Because I was thinking, uh, too, on that 1989, Welcome to New York, that starts out the album. I think that's the weakest song on that album, and it, it starts it off. probably is, yeah. But it does make... It actually does work as an opener, though. Yeah, because it's got that kind of extended, like, um, opening. Like, it goes on for, yeah. like, a minute right before the song starts. Right. So that kind of is an opening track. So I guess that's the only way I could rationalize it. Like, well, she doesn't have to start it with a bang because people are already going to buy it. You know? Yeah, people don't. I mean, she doesn't need to do shit. They didn't have to win us over. There didn't even have to be any songs on this record. <laughs> you could have just fucking popped the CD in and it was just, just like <laughs> Taylor Swift farting or It something. was just blank. It could just be <laughs> blank. And people would have, I would have bought it. And I'm like, yeah, that's a cool case, man. She looks cute on the cover. <laughs> fucking buy that. Track listing. Nothing. Yeah. I'll still buy it. I, You know, the second song, Cruel Summer. I thought me, it was going to be like an 80s cover. What's that? Like Bananarama? Cruel oh, yeah, Summer? Yeah. I was thinking like, oh, maybe she's going to cover that. Yeah, it might have been better. I don't. That one I don't think is a bad song. Yeah, like, I liked it. It would have made a solid opener. It would have set the, the record on course a little bit better for me, you know, because... After such a bad opening track, I was like, God, man, this is just going to fucking suck. But then it was like, you know, it's an interesting record because it's like, it's almost like an every other song kind of thing for me. Because Cruel Summer is really cool. I mean, it was a, it's just a cool, solid pop song. All I can really say about it. And then Lover, the title track, is like possibly her most mature love song to date like it's and I'm not saying like lyrically Mm. mature and actually like the title sounds like it would be terrible like it sounds like it would just be a bad fucking love song but then it ends up being a really good love song and the title doesn't really do it justice of how great of a song it is like but then you forget like I, I guess at first it just bugged me like the title sounded too cliche like yeah. I don't, stupid title why did you why did you call it that because it's such a great song but then it's such a great song you forget that you didn't like the fucking title and it seems like an odd title for the album too to be honest with you and it seems like 
it's kind of a weird song. Like I wouldn't think that if it was my album and I was listening to all of my songs, I wouldn't listen to that song and go, "Oh, that should be the fucking title yeah. track." And I, it doesn't even sound like a single to me. It's one of the best songs on the album, but the fact that she chose to release that as a single was pretty interesting to me because it doesn't sound like your basic bitch soccer mom single that you've come to expect from Taylor Swift <laughs> yeah. or half these pop artists. I listened to it the first time and was just like, oh my God, Like it just has like this. Yeah, because I think I told you about it and you just pulled up the YouTube video. Oh yeah, we were just hanging out and I remember... Yeah, we were sitting there having a couple drinks or whatever, and I pulled it up on YouTube and was like, wait, wait a fucking minute. This is great. Like, I just yeah. couldn't believe it because I hated the other, uh, the last single. I mean, I didn't really like any of the singles I, I had heard. At that point, I'd only heard Me and uh, You Need to Calm Down. Yeah. And I thought Me, you know, I mean, it sounded like a fucking Pixar soundtrack yeah. song. Like, it was something that, you know, my kids loved it. And I was like, eh, okay, whatever. Um, but, and then You Need to Calm Down was like a shitty version. It was like a shittier version of Look What You Made Me Do. Oh, which yeah. Which was the single, leads yeah. the first single off that last record. And, which that one kind of grew on me. Like, I didn't like it at first. I thought it was terrible. But then I bought that last album, and that one actually grew on me. That record grew on me over time, but I think that stylistically, that just wasn't the record for me. This one, style-wise, is kind of all over the place, I feel like. Yeah, that's that's what I had, too. Like, like my one note is, I don't know if... I don't know if you can re- even read my handwriting. You can't but, even read my handwriting. So. Um, album sequencing <laughs> is weird. I forgot that you existed, uh, question mark, because, yeah, it does seem like almost every other song is good and how, like, it kind of ties in with the other two albums we talked about. Vince Gill, how you're saying that's, like, the most consistent. Right. And then Midland was kind of maybe not consistent for you. It's, like, up and down. Right. And I thought the Taylor Swift one was the biggest example of one that is really inconsistent. Oh, yeah. Because it's like the opposite like she's just of red. just shit at the fucking wall. And... Uh, where, yeah, like, I liked a lot of the... Like, all the songs that I liked, I really, really liked them. And if I didn't like it, I didn't like it at all. Like, there was no middle ground. Yeah. It was either yes or no. Yeah, for the most part, that's how I felt with this. Like, The Archer, which I guess was another... Yeah, I like that one. Put out. Yeah, it's a really brilliant fucking ballad yeah. like she really you know like my note that I made for it like listening to it I wrote that it was very adult <laughs> you know and I don't mean that like in a uh, you know like an adult film type oh yeah yeah <laughs> reference like it's just very it's written very or mature adult, you know something. yeah you know it's just yeah it's mature like that and lover are like really mature Songs and not even like I don't want people listening to this to think that like they go in and they dissect the yeah. lyrics and think oh this yeah. isn't really that fucking great of lyrics I'm not saying the lyrics are like there's yeah. something about the sound where she just she tapped into something on Lover and The Archer and I don't know why the fuck if I had written all these other songs and those were the last two songs I wrote for this record 
I would have thrown every other fucking song away and said, no, this is what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I just tapped into something here, and I'm going to fucking roll with this, and this is going to be the whole fucking record. And it would have yeah. been, if she just somehow pulled that off, it just would have been, like, the best thing she ever fucking put out from, like, an artistic standpoint. Yeah, because I like the one with the Dixie Chicks, too. That was yeah. kind of more of, like, a mellow, like, ballad song. So it's almost like... She's got these really good mature ballads, right. but then her fans expect the pop songs, so she's got to like appease them. But I think she's yeah. kind of wanting to do more mature stuff. No, I is what it sounds like. Hundred percent on that. Because uh, uh, I like the Cornelia Street. That's my like favorite I, song on the fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. I like that one hands down. I mean, not hands down, but it's. But then you've got oh London God. Boy, and that's the, the one stupid. that, like, I hated that yeah, song. I'm like, God, move on, move on. I'm move glad on. we agree on that one. Yeah. That's the worst of all the shit. Like, literally, I was sitting here, like, making notes on this record, and I took a lot of notes at first because, like, I really just, these songs are all interesting in some way, shape, or form. And London Boy, it was like, I'm sitting there listening to it, and I just write no. I <laughs> just write down <laughs> yeah. no. Because... All the stupid British fucking references were just... Yeah. It was dumb. I was like, how the fuck did you write Lover, The Archer, uh, that Cornelia Street, and that, and you referenced the, dip, the Dixie uh, Chicks. Soon You'll Get Better soon was you'll get the... Better. That was a great song, too. How did you write these fucking songs and think this London Boy song was a good idea? Yeah, and there's that one, too. Um, I wrote it down, Death by a Thousand Cuts. Oh that God. was another one, yeah, too. That's I didn't like, get it. I, yeah. It, it sounded cool. Actually, that one had a cool sound to it. You can yeah, and the like, cool title, like it sounds like a metal death yeah. by a thousand cuts. When I first listened to it, I was I didn't look at the I didn't look at the name of the song, mm. and I thought she was saying death by a thousand kites. <laughs> and so I was even <laughs> I was even more confused, you know. And the funny thing about it is, is I listened to this fucking album like four times before I finally looked to see what the title was. So. <laughs> I'm talking like four listens, dude. I thought it was called Death by a Thousand Kites. <laughs> and I'm like, kites? How the fuck does somebody die? I mean, I... <laughs> like, like somebody tied like a thousand kites to her and she blew off into the fucking wind and then crashed into a tree and died. I, I didn't know. <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't know. I, you know what, though? I would have liked the song better in the end, I think, if it was called <laughs> But that was the thing. You know, you brought up how she, how she, uh, you know, she has her different kinds of fans, like the different demographics that she's obviously trying yeah. to appease when she writes some of these songs. And that was the one thing that really bothered me about some of the songs on this record was there was some intentional shit um, politically that I felt like she was doing that bothered me because it didn't come off honest. Oh, really? And like... the man, the whole... And the thing is, that song, The Man, I thought it was, you know, it's a fairly catchy song and I don't hate it as a song. But when I listen to the lyrics and she's just... All of a sudden now she's like deciding, oh, she wants to be like the symbol for female equality. And empowerment, and it's like, yeah. you know, you're not really the person that, like, if I'm a if I'm a female that's wanting to be treated equally in the yeah. world, I'm obviously not a female. But and, and you know, <laughs> might have to cut yeah. this out. I don't know uh, where I'm going to go with this, and I if know, I accidentally fun. sound yeah. offensive or something, but you know, obviously, I have two daughters. I, I 
obviously I want yeah. women to be treated equally. So I'm going to preface this whole fucking conversation by saying that. But if I was in a young girl's shoes and dealing with any of these issues of not being treated like a man would be treated in a work environment or whatever, I don't think Taylor Swift would be like my go-to for someone to... uh, uh, symbolize me and like the poster girl. Yeah, she's not the poster her. girl for this because look, bitch, you've been fucking yeah. a millionaire since you were a teenager. Yeah, true, true. Don't tell me about equal. Don't sit there and bitch about. Oh well, I would have got there quicker if I was a man, motherfucker. Yeah. You were like twelve and you were you had more money than me. Yeah. So, oh, but I kind of took it as like a, not to like knock you off your soapbox. No, I mean I kind of took it as like I underlined it. Because that was my favorite song on there. Because oh, I thought, really? I kind of thought that she's kind of at that position where, like, we're saying, like, people are going to buy her album anyways. Right. So people are like, so so she can act. she's actually got the power to say something about the whole, like, right. uh, like Me Too and stuff. Right. Where it's like, yeah, because uh, everybody else is, like, I think it even goes back to something you're saying, not to reference something, like, off air or off. People aren't going to know. Uh, but you were saying Ed Sheeran, he's kind of one note. He's all like, oh, man, poor me. Like, this girl, like, wronged me. Oh, dude, every but everybody's song. saying that about Taylor Swift. That's all she does is right. write songs about uh, these exes. Yeah. But I think that maybe she's just saying that to these people. Like, hey, I do more than just this. And people right. would notice that about me if right. I was... A guy or something. Right. Like that. So that's kind of why it kind of like... Well, there were lyrics in there that I thought were good. Like, from the perspective you're coming from with that. Like, because, yeah, she kind of... She kind of is saying in in some parts of the song uh, something along the lines, and I don't really remember the lyrics, but, you know, I think there's some talk about how people always dishonor... For all the yeah. uh, relationships she's always in, like she's always in a lot of relationships, yeah. and I think the point she's the trying to make, or whatever and yeah, I mean the point she's trying to make at one point in the song, which I actually did like this, and I and I do agree with her on this 100. percent Was she was almost kind of saying like, well, because I'm a girl, you're saying I'm a hoe, but if I was a guy, I'd yeah. be a fucking stud, oh, like yeah, that kind of, because yeah. it is a double standard that really does exist, and yeah, obviously that's. That part of it is real, and I did that. I could, I could get, you know, I yeah. could get behind that with her. There was just certain parts of it where I guess I just wasn't buying into it. Like, yeah. I mean, you just Taylor Swift is one of those where everybody knows her. Everybody knows she's been a fucking superstar, like pretty much her whole life at this True. point. And so it was just to me, it was like not relatable. Certain lyrics. Like I yeah. said, the ones about the relationship thing and the that yeah. I get. But if I was a young girl and was listening to some of the other lyrics from the standpoint of, you know, women's equality and yeah. and everything, I guess more from the equal pay side of things and the like I guess I just I'm just being a bitter fuck here, I know. <laughs> but and I'm just assuming that if I was a female I would be equally as bitter 
and bitchy as I am as a man, but I just think that I would listen to it and go, fuck, you can't relate to me. You can't uh-huh. relate to what I'm going through. Like that, yeah. you know, that's how I think I would interpret it. But at the same time, I'm not a woman, so what the fuck do I know? Yeah. You know, it's like me saying I can relate to childbirth. Like, I can't. I don't know. I don't know what it's like. So I'm not yeah. going to pretend to, and I wasn't trying to go off on some fucking, you know, rant that only a fucking man could go off on yeah. being all self-righteous and, and whatnot. But I think, you know, it's, I'm torn on that song, I, you know, because there are lyrics in there where I thought it was really cool and I'm with you on it. But then there was other ones where I'm like, uh, are you just kind of jumping on a bandwagon here? Yeah. Are you just saying this because you yeah. know that people want to yeah. hear it? Or is this really, She's always kind of had the screw the hater songs like that mean. Why do you got to be so mean? I'm just going to shake it off. Like, screw you. Right. Man. And then she's even got that, like, the, you need to calm down. That's still like a, almost like, maybe not really an empowerment thing, but she's still kind of like, uh, she's like going after the people that are just like, I guess Jim Glass called them keyboard warriors who just say shit online. So right. she's like, eh, whatever. You're just full of crap. Right. No, she's a sassy one. Yeah. She'll So it still fits the same stuff that she's writing. Like I didn't right. think it was really out of I think that uh her style, I guess. The one really interesting one, I think he knows. This one it has like this eighties synth pop thing for a chorus that comes in. She does like the real uh the pre chorus thing. She kinda does this fast talking like yeah. thing to where I kinda sat back like hey, what the fuck is she doing and then that chorus kicks in she does she's singing like in this high falsetto and there's all this heavy synth stuff and okay like, fuck man it was like the best dance track on the whole record I mean in my opinion that that would be the one I would release as the okay. fucking dumbed down pop single you True. know but it's really not that dumbed down so because maybe it wasn't dumb enough for all the fucking fans out there that want a really stupid Taylor Swift song. That was one I put in the thumbs down territory because it was like, I guess I wanted to like it more than I did, but then the falsetto thing was kind of like, yeah, like, I don't know. It kind of was like, like two that? different songs or something. Like, I kind of liked where it was going, but then the falsetto thing was kind of like, eh. Yeah, see, I, was, I guess I was the opposite. Like, that was the point where I was like, fuck it, I like this. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I need to go back and listen to it, but like in the, in the same vein of the stupid songs, you're probably going to hate this one, but I like that Paper Rings. Hated it. Yeah, because see, Fucking like that is it. kind of like pure pop that I think. Right. Dude, I mean, I you literally know, girls was like, or your oh, kids yeah. are going to dance to. Yeah. It kind of was like, I all literally right, I was tapping my toes in the car. I wrote down, cute, the kids probably love it. Like, that <laughs> was my note. That's all I have to say or about Andy. that song. I thought it was dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, well. I really didn't expect you to like that one. Oh. So it was you, just so dumb that I did like it because it was catchy. You disappointed me, yeah. Andy. Uh, you know, well, I mean, see, we don't I'm agree glad. On I'm That's glad good. we're not agreeing on everything. It'd yeah. be boring as fuck if we did. If we just sat here and high-fived each other after every song we talked about. Um, but yeah, that Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. Yeah, that was kind of a thumbs that down. That is a long fucking title but yet sounded promising. And the chorus, I think, is pretty good. Like, I kind of like the choruses, but I really hated the verses. They seemed mm. really fucking generic and forced, and I don't know. I wish that was a better song, 
I like the title. I like, yeah. I like it when somebody puts out something that's just the most ridiculous title. Like, it's too fucking long. That is the longest fucking title. Not really. But it is long. <laughs> it's a lot of syllables. And, you know, I wanted to like it just for that reason because the title kind of had this charm to it. And, you know, Miss Americana, it's kind of cheesy and it sounds really fucking, I don't know, like pretentious in a way. Like, I didn't, like, when I first read it and I'm thinking, like, what, what the fuck is she talking about? Is, is she referring to herself? Like, that seems fucking stupid. Yeah. But then she really wasn't. And the chorus was cool. And it just had verses that just did not, I don't know. Maybe that was the song that had the fucking pickup truck in it. Maybe it wasn't on the Midland record. I don't know. <laughs> there might have been a pickup truck. I feel like there's a pickup truck in that fucking song, too. I don't know. Um, but Cornelia Street, we already kind yeah. of mentioned that, you know. That was definitely, like, the highlight for me. Like, that song came on the first time I listened to this album, and I was just like, Jesus. At first, it was just kind of cool. And then it got to the chorus, and I kind of woke up like, oh, what the fuck is this? Wait. You know, then I loved it. And then when I went back and listened to it, though, this was the thing that bummed me out about this song. I do have a big negative. The more I'm listening to it, the less it's bothering me. But the opening line about being drunk in the back of a car. It just <laughs> bothered me. It sounded too generic coming from her. Mm. You know? And then I was kind of like, I don't know. I guess the dad in me was like, ah, oh, man, come on. Come on, Tay-Tay. The fucking kids listen to you. Don't talk about being drunk. <laughs> you know? Even though their dad is currently drinking and on his, like, third drink at 1230. <laughs> On a fucking Sunday when I should have been in church. But but I'm worried about, you know, I'm worried about what Taylor Swift's doing. Um, but I don't know. Like, it did. It bothered. The lyric bothered me because not really so much for that reason. It's, I mean, whatever. If a lyric bothers you to where you, you don't want your kids to hear it, you just don't play them the fucking song. It's that simple. So I'm not going to sit here and try to, fucking say she should censor herself because yeah. she shouldn't no artist should absolutely not but it just didn't i just didn't buy it but then i'm like ah, you know but she is like almost 30 now was yeah. she like 28 i mean yeah. she's probably out at bars drinking like it's probably just real it probably is her fucking life although sure. i don't know what bars she would go to she can't she probably has to like rent the bar out for the whole fucking night. Like, Taylor Swift can't just walk into a bar. Yeah. Like, you're not going to just be hanging out at some fucking shithole downtown. And yeah, because she's going to have to have, like, an entourage. Yeah, of like, like Tay, old yeah. Tay-Tays in there just hanging out. Yeah. That doesn't work. You have a bunch of fucking douchebags like me in there trying to hit on her. I mean, got no shot with her. I'd be like, hey, can I buy you a drink? <laughs> or you get the asshole that's like, hey, can you buy me a drink? What? I know you got more money than me. <laughs> You got more money than everybody in this fucking bar combined. And all of our families. So I think the next song to talk about here, because we've already talked about Soon You'll Get Better, which was the Dixie Chicks song. Oh, yeah. Which we already agreed that's a great song, great chorus. An absolutely sweet chorus. Like, I feel like it's, uh, I don't know. It's just one of those that if you're having a shitty day, 
it's probably you know just it's talking to you telling you hey soon it'll get better yeah. I think that's the point, right? <laughs> that's what all these Everyday young girls... Everyday Thoughts by Jack Handy. Yeah. Here's your self-affirmation. <laughs> or, yeah. Or what, the daily affirmations yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is kind of what it feels like. But it is good. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not saying that to bash it like it's a, uh, like it's a bad thing. Sometimes I like it when songs have positive messages. I'm kind of... A yeah. fucking Debbie Downer, and usually I like shit to be all dark, and <laughs> you know, I like songs to just put me in a worse mood than I already am in. But um, this one's a pretty good, you know. If I feel like I want to feel better about myself, I'm gonna listen to this song, and I'm gonna start my mission to feeling better about myself. <laughs> so, not really much more to say about that one. Um, the one song. Because I think we've touched on about everything else on this record, but that false god song. Mm, yeah. Fucking stupid. Just feels dumb. Like, I felt <laughs> dumb after I listened to it. Or dumber, depending on, you know, how dumb you might think I already am. But, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. I don't know why I felt the need to specifically bring that song up just to talk about how stupid it was, but I don't understand. I think maybe this just all goes back to her being the most powerful person in the fucking world, and she can just do whatever she wants and put out whatever she wants. But I feel like anyone else, somebody would have stepped in and said, Hey, Tay-Tay, the song's fucking stupid. (laughs) Don't put this on your record. But we wouldn't have the opening track either if that was the case yeah. if somebody you know if somebody could actually just put Taylor Swift in her place you know this would have been a much shorter record I think like I guess it's good because some bands the standard is like 10 songs an album and that's yeah. it and they do 10 songs right. so you're getting your money's worth that you're getting what 18 it's songs 18 song album I mean I and even the last one Reputation had like a ton of songs so. Yeah, all of her albums, honestly. I think that, uh, I don't think 1989 was super long. Maybe Even that was, Red has Red like was long. It was 16 or 17. I want to say Speak Now was like an 18 track song, uh, 18 track album. So, yeah, I mean, she is, as much as I'm bitching, it's just because this album specifically needed less songs. There's a lot of fat to yeah. trim off this record, I think. Um, but having said that, like, I admire the fact that she's putting out albums. She's putting out a record. She's putting out a full yeah. fucking album. In a world where people don't have the attention span to sit past a seven-song EP, you know? Yeah. Um, which, having said that, the whole attention span and seven-song EP seems like a good segue to get off this record and go into the Tool album, mm. which is anything but a seven-song EP. And it's... It's basically a seven-song album. It is. Yeah, I think there's only, like, seven songs on it, but it's, uh... Jesus fucking Christ, I don't even really know where to start with this one. <laughs> Maybe I'll start, because you kind of had a... Had like a uh, Taylor Swift kind of introductory yeah. thing, and I'll say that like it's kind of in the same lines of the Taylor Swift thing with me. Like 
maybe wanting to like it more than I did. Like, not that the Taylor Swift album is bad at all. I guess I was just getting really hyped up uh, over the advertising and the pre-release songs. And it was like, Tool, like, that um, Ladder Alice came out when I was in high school, and I loved that album. I, like, told, like, I was probably behind you, because you were probably into, like, Anima... Or, yeah, uh, that was or my forty six and two, yep. and like stink fist and stuff. Yeah. But I got into Lateralis and that video. Uh, I forget schism this. probably. Yeah, like schism. Like I thought that was just cool, and it was like totally different. I guess it, I hadn't heard much prog rock before, but that was more like prog rock where they got really artsy versus dark, right, or something. And then. Like, in the last 10 years since our last album, I kind of, like, wrote them off. I'm like, man, these guys seem pretentious. They are. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm like, maybe the name fits. Tool. They're a bunch of tools and stuff. And I'm like, why are you taking, like, 13 years to come out with an album? And maybe they're buying into their own hype, you know, kind of staying away to kind of increase their own interest right. or their mystique or something. But then I kind of got bit by it, you know, when this album was coming out. I'm like, hey, man, it is Tool. It's like, what other band is going to kind of have that power now where they're kind of like held their stuff off of, um, you know, streaming sites. They're one of the right. last holdouts. And they've had like, you know, 13 years since this album. So it kind of is. It felt, it felt like an event. So I kind of actually wanted to give it a shot instead right. of where I've, I've bashed them the last 10 years. And then even like there's a... A record store that I followed on Instagram. It's like a record chain out in Arizona. They were actually having like listening parties and they were going to kind of do the thing that co op used to do where they'd have the midnight releases oh, yeah, and you'd come yeah. out and you'd buy the album. And I was like, it's cool. People I was kind of too yeah. young for that with uh, co op because I was kind of like 12 or 13 or something, not able right. to stay out late when all those big albums were coming out. But right. I always heard about it on, like, the radio. Yeah, I mean, even I caught the tail end of that. I mean, there's maybe two records I've gone at midnight and bought, you know. It would just seem know. cool. Like, nobody does that anymore. Yeah, it's true. I didn't look at it from that perspective. So, like, maybe I kind of wanted to like it and give it a shot, even though it was like, I don't listen to Tool at all anymore. And last Sunday, a friend of mine who actually is one of the guys I got into Tool with. And as soon as we walked in the door, they were playing a Tool song. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, this is Tool, but it doesn't sound like any Tool that we know. Right. And he said that the album leaked early and they're playing uh, that song. So it ended up being a new Tool song. Hmm. So like that song I heard was the second song, I think. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Phenuma? Or something, but oh, that sounded Nima? like Lateralis. I would say Nima. Is that yeah, like Nima. So like, I was like, okay, this sounds like Lateralis too. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. But but then everything else after those two songs was those two songs. So there's no like, right? There's really no distinction from anything on that album. Yeah, really. I don't feel that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I although to me, the standout song. Well, I guess we could go through this and kind of track by track it even though yeah. I think we both are probably agreeing that this was just boring it was tough like it was tough for me to listen yeah. to the whole thing all these other ones I fucking just pounded through them listening to them had no problem finishing them this one it took me three separate times to like sit down yeah. and say okay I'm gonna do this 
And like the second time, I just I couldn't do it. I was like, ah, fuck, I have to stop. And then I had to yeah. finish it later. Because um, it just doesn't. I feel like these guys blew their wad. Like Lateralis, I didn't really like that record. I know you said oh, you really? loved it, but um, you're absolutely right. The record before that, Anima, if that's how you pronounce it, I think that would be like the classic just, Tool sound. I love something. that album. I mean, it's just it's got fucking teeth. You know, Undertow's good. Opiate yeah. was really good. I really liked that one. Um, but their third one had like that something extra. It was like yeah. their downward spiral. Like I would like. Nine Inch Nails downward yeah. spiral kind of that was their huge fucking like I mean they've made some good or I should say Trent has made some good music since then but I don't think he's ever gonna probably do that again you know yeah. and I feel that way with Tool now because Lateralis I felt there were singles on that at least like there were songs but it felt a little watered down to me and 10,000 Days came out and uh, I pretty much wrote them off. I bought that album. I think I listened to it once and was like, okay, this just feels like a fucking Danny Carey drum solo with just other shit in there. Yeah. And that's yeah. how the new one feels. Like, it feels like it's just him doing a drum solo. And now there's actually a track that is just a drum yeah. solo. On there. Well, yeah, at least they just <laughs> cut the bullshit on yeah. one of them, I guess. But, you know, Fear, Inoculum, the title track... I mean, they put that out as a single, their first release, and people were just, I mean, God, people were just eating it up. I don't get it, you know? I listened to it and was fucking bored. I'm like, what the fuck are people jerking off about? I don't yeah. get this. Even being like, people will look at me and they'll say, well, you're not a Tool fan, you don't get it. It's like, no, but you're wrong, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> Anima... Anima, Anima, however that fucking, which to me, even some of these fucking titles, they're just making words up and just, yeah. they're just doing this to get people to fucking talk and have con- these conversations and discuss this and everybody can sit around and try to pretend they're smarter than what they really are because this shit is not in the fucking English language, language at all, you know? Yeah. But we're all going to like argue about it and discuss how you pronounce it. But that record was fucking awesome. Like, I loved that fucking album and listened to it all the time. And I was, yeah. like, in my early 20s and would just, like, you know, have a night where I just would sit and fucking drink and listen to albums. Like, yeah. I would put that fucking album on and get fucking loaded and listen to it. And maybe I liked it better because I was drunk. I don't know. But point is, like, people try to say, you know, hey, you know, well, you're not a real Tool fan, so you wouldn't understand. It's like, look, if you mean that I'm not going to just buy everything, including a fucking album where Maynard just takes a shit, and you're just listening to the sounds of Maynard taking a shit, then yeah, you're right. I guess I'm not really a fucking Tool fan. Yeah. Because honestly, all that fucking Pussifer stuff is garbage. Everything I've heard, I've hated that last Perfect Circle album that just came out last year was fucking terrible. Like, I don't know what that dude is all about anymore, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said that they've gotten to the point of just, like, getting into their own hype. They yeah. believe in their own hype, and I think when you get to a point to where critics are just sucking your dick and telling you that you're the greatest thing, yeah. and this thing that you did was so fucking great, 
I think you like lose perspective. Like you don't, you know, I don't think people are being honest with this fucking band. Yeah. They're just saying that everything they do is great because they're great musicians. And Maynard is a great singer. He's got a great voice. But I don't give a fuck. I need yeah. something more. I need like a song. I need something that grabs me. And even like all this shit is atmospheric. To me, the whole record is an atmospheric record. It'd be a great fucking soundtrack to a movie. But it's not like a sit down and listen to it. But even classical music that has no fucking words, that's just all strings and fucking some percussion, and it climaxes at points, right? Like, there's something to listen to, and this, the majority of it, it doesn't even, like, the, the title track, the first song, to me... Even when it supposedly has a climax, it doesn't feel like a climax. I feel like I'm just still fucking sitting at the same fucking spot I was nine and a half minutes earlier in the song, and it just never went anywhere. And then when it thought it went somewhere, it was still like, no, you still didn't fucking get me anywhere. I'm still sitting right here. It's kind of like, almost like you're like reading my mind, like, uh, because... Yeah, like, Tool, like, meant a lot to us at one point um, in our lives. So we didn't want to kind of dismiss this as just being like, eh, whatever. Like, we wanted to give it a chance, and I kind of wanted to give it a chance. But those songs didn't really go anywhere. And I've listened to, like, Dream Theater. Sure, sometimes they they go off the rails with, like, weird keyboard shit where it's like, wrap it up. But at least some of those songs, too, or even Metallica, uh... They've got long songs, but they actually kind of progress and build. And you can tell that the beginning is the end. And in between, it's still this, it might have some kind of build, but it goes back to where it was. It's like telling a story. These are just kind of long for the sake of being long. Maybe for like Metallica example, it's like not Saint Anger, but in the same way, it's like those songs were just long for the sake of being long because they're like okay people expect more yeah maybe okay we had these 80s songs where they were like man they really built up and now we had these 90s songs where they were short and concise right but okay people want the longer stuff so now we'll give them the longer stuff but it seemed like they needed to kind of trim these up or they weren't really i don't know there's i don't know if i'm actually saying what's on my mind like my Um, words don't match what's in my head, but it's almost like, I think Metallica did it better, like, in a way. They had to go away for a while and come back, and they did. And they went away, and they kind of came back with, like, Hardwired. That had a lot of stuff that people like and want. And I even think that, like, the 08 album, um, Death Magnetic, was a really good comeback. That was, like, that kind of picked up where they left off with Injustice for All. Um, you know, right. it's like the night you could kind of like for all those people that didn't like the nineties, this of was their answer, right. you know, Hey man, we've got the hard, hard riffs and shit, but tool, it's like, maybe like you're saying too, they kind of thinking back to all their other albums, they almost kind of said what they needed to, you know, opiate was like this short album that was like raw and yeah, short songs live. There was like a live track on there. Yeah. And then yeah. undertow and enema. They were really dark, but they were still kind of short and concise. So they yeah. kind of 
expanded and went more prog rock with like lateralis and even like 10,000 days. But then this, they already said what they needed to. They uh, maybe they shot themselves in the foot and progressed too much over those albums. But now it's like this yeah. is like I think they're just trying to they're just taking the same old formula and stretching it out. I don't think they tapped into anything new with this. Yeah. If like every song sounds like fucking schism part 2. Yeah. It's like everything every song is like Yeah, really. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and then the drums come in doing some like off tempo thing like you know. Yeah, and then the guitar comes in straight forward and I'm like, you guys have done this a million fucking times. Yeah, so it's like I wanted to like it because it was lateralis, but then I didn't like it because it was just lateralis. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like the Peter Jackson extended versions of these movies or something, you know? Exactly. Like, we don't need a six-hour version of it. Yeah. Movie. Like the movie was already long enough. <laughs> yeah. No, I... But then it's weird, though. Like we're saying, they have the whole track that's just a drum solo. Right. It's like how much more cliche can you get? But then it was like I kind of thought... Well, that actually is kind of cool. What other bands do have, like, just a track that's a drum solo? Okay. But then it's got that weird kind of beat in there. The synth things that he was doing like, on this record. That's like, he could leave that out. And yeah. It was kind of distracting from the drums. To me, like, the, the, the weird synth thing he was doing, I don't know what it's called. But it was probably the most interesting part of the whole record. Like, it was the only thing new they put in this fucking album that was like, oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. But it wasn't even... Like, the song Descending had this middle section that was hands down the coolest, one of the coolest parts of the whole record. It goes into this total John Carpenter thing. Like, I don't know if you sense that, but listen to the song Descending again, and I'm telling you, you'll hear it. Because right in the middle of the song, which, you know, I think the middle of any of these fucking songs is still like 10 minutes in, but... (laughs) but, But it's like... You could damn near watch a fucking John Carpenter movie in the time it takes to just get through one of these songs. But it seriously, there's like this, there's this thing that comes in, this synth thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a keyboard. I don't know if somebody played keyboard or if uh, Danny Carey has like some uh, electronic drums that he was doing this shit on. But it comes in and it's very, my first thought was John Carpenter. It sounded like a John Carpenter score. It was like yeah. fucking Escape from New York. You know, I wanted Snake Plissken to come in and save this fucking record. That's what <laughs> I wanted to happen. I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if he just showed up. I don't know how that would work in a fucking Tool record, but, you know, if Kurt Russell just did a spoken word track on this, I probably yeah. would have been more interested in the whole album, yeah. anyhow. I mean,. I feel like I have to say this out loud. I have to read this track title because it's just an opportunity to sound like an idiot. But the third track, Lit- Litany Contra Le Pur. <laughs> I don't even know if that's how you pronounce this, but I'm just like, wow, you pretentious fuck. Yeah. Like, Maynard had to have come up with that. Like, he was sitting around in his vineyard drinking his own fucking wine and he said look guys you're gonna write an instrumental I'm not gonna have anything to do with it but here's this really fucking fancy French title I don't even know what 
in the fuck that means. I should have researched it. There's going to be some tool fan that listens to this, and he's going to chime in, and he's yeah. going to tell me I'm a dumbass, and he's going to explain in a yeah. fucking huge paragraph what this song title means and why I'm a dipshit for fucking mocking it. And I can't really wait. I can't. I, I want to hear why I'm wrong. Um, you know, Invincible, which is like four tracks and 68 minutes later, comes in, and uh, I felt like that was the first sign of an actual song. Yeah. But then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. I was wrong. You you just started boring me to fucking tears again. Thank you, guys. And, uh, you know, it's got like, I think some of the songs have cool, like, instrumental parts in the middle. You know, like, Invincible has, like, some riffs in the middle that I thought were cool. And, uh, like I said, the John Carpenter sounding thing in Descending I thought was really cool. But the only song in this whole record, I'm not going to sit here and babble on too long about this because... I just didn't really like it, and it bored the fucking piss out of me. But, again, with their weird fucking titles, I don't know if it's Tempest, or if it's supposed to be pronounced seven <laughs> like, Yeah, they put, a, they put a seven in the fucking place of a T, and seven yeah. doesn't even start with a T. I don't even know how to make sense of what they were going for here, because yeah. if you try to pronounce it, seven epist. <laughs> Seven up. I, what the fuck? I have. But that no, one had some cool stuff. But in that it was too. hands down the coolest fucking song yeah. in the whole record. Like yeah. that was the only one where right out the gate, right when Maynard started singing, I'm like, fuck. Okay, he's doing something yeah. here. But the song's 15 minutes long. I know. So naturally, it fucking loses you. Like it's not good yeah. enough to be 15 minutes. There's not enough interesting shit. There's like. Yeah. There's cool riffs, cool as fucking lyrical phrasing that he's he's done on the yeah. whole record. Everything else is like listening to paint dry. But this, he actually does something. But then they say, oh, wait, people might like that. Let's stretch it out. Let's make it way too fucking long. <laughs> let's make sure that, you know, let's make sure that, you know, people are pissed by the time they're done with this song because, you know, they thought they were going to like it, but then we were like, no. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm kind of just, I don't know. I think, I'm not sure at this point whether these guys are like sincere about what they're doing or if they're just fucking with their fans. Like, I feel like they're fucking with everybody. Especially because that goes along with what I was thinking. The last song is Mocking Beat. And I was like, my only note is Mocking Beat. Terrible, double underlined, and it sounds like some dying bird. And it's like, if this is even Tool's last album, that would be their last song ever. And it's just. Yeah. And I hope it's their last. If this is all yeah. they're going to give us, then fuck you guys. Yeah. You heard it right here. I'm telling you, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, because you have a fan base that will fucking just eat out of the palm of your fucking hand whatever yeah. you shit into it. Yeah. And these people are just... Bird noises? I mean, come on. These people are buying everything. I saw a guy make a comment online and said that that Nemo song, the second track, is the best song he's ever heard in his entire life. What? (laughs) 
No fucking joke. You know how hard it was? Because I'm not like a... I don't... I don't start shit online. Like, I'm obviously talking a lot of shit right now because, I mean, that's the point of this yeah. fucking show. It'd be boring if I didn't. But, I mean, it just—it was really hard to not comment on that and be like, dude, really? Are you fucking kidding me? Of all the songs in the whole fucking world ever written, this song that couldn't even I tried I listened to this one several times because then after I read that I had to listen to it again and be like okay maybe I'm a fucking dumbass and I just don't hear it but dude this is not the best song ever written yeah it's very far from it I mean I just I I don't know Hmm. there's a lot of great Beatles songs you're gonna fucking insult the Beatles and <laughs> tell me that Nima by Tool is the best song ever written. God damn it. I hope that fucking guy just I don't know. I was gonna go really in a dark place there. I'll Although stop, I just I'll said Paper talking. Rings was really good, so You did, but I mean I you didn't know. say it was the best song ever written. Yeah. You didn't you didn't like look me in the yeah. eye and say, Hey, you know you know Norwegian Wood by the Beatles? Paper rings is better. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's fine if you want to like that, and I don't agree. We're not going to agree on everything, but, you know, but there's just some things. Obviously, music is subjective, and it's all a matter of opinion and your own taste. But some people have bad taste, and they're just yeah. fucking wrong, and that guy's wrong. Yeah. So I don't remember your name or what the comment was or whatever your post was other than the fact that, you know, you thought that was the best song ever written. But I'm here to tell you, if you're listening, you're fucking wrong. And you're just not allowed to have a fucking opinion anymore. Stop posting shit on Facebook. Um, so I think the only thing outside of the these records that we were going to discuss was the, the Chicago reissue that... We were, uh, like, the idea for the show was to do recent releases and then do, like, a throwback record, do something that was put out in the past, and it just happened that this week the uh, the first Chicago album was uh, reissued, which I think this is, like, the second reissue in the last, like, decade or two. Yeah, but I think they said it was, like, the 50th. Oh, uh, it was, like, an anniversary. Yeah, yeah so it was, like, right. holy cow, that is... 50 years? Yeah. That's a long time. I guess for a little bit of backstory, like my aunt is a huge Chicago fan. That's one band that she really loves, and I got to see uh, uh, Chicago with her a couple of years ago. She always goes on vacation in the spring, so I like was house-sitting for her. So sometimes I'd go through her like CD collection and stuff when she's gone. And one year, I really got into Fleetwood Mac. It's kind of the, like along the lines of how your uh, taste kind of changed when you got older. Like my uh, parents or whatever, riding around in, like my dad's like truck or whatever, he'd have like uh, Fleetwood Mac on in like the eighties. What it was like Tango in the Night or something? Like I heard all those songs yeah. when I was a kid. And I was like, "Fuck this! I want to hear something Tango else." Tango in the Night's terrible. I'm a fan, but I hate. I like the that song. Yeah, and there's a couple songs. Or Big Love, on, but but, yeah. uh, but anyways, like it's it's along the same lines where your taste kind of change when you get older, and you're like. Oh, yeah, I guess I do like that, or I can see it in a different light. But uh, then my aunt uh, 
she actually had like a Chicago Greatest Hits thing in her collection, and she had this album. She's got something in her house that I always thought was the coolest thing ever. It would probably be easy to do, but she has a stereo in one room, but then throughout her house, in the living room, in the kitchen, in the dining room, she's got like speakers in right. the wall. So like the central stereo, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's like, so I think I played that Chicago Transit Authority album... And then I was getting like dinner for myself or something when I was house sitting for, and I was in the kitchen, and I guess maybe I had tuned it out, but I heard that freeform guitar, and I just kind of like, it totally like threw me off, and I'm like, what the hell is this? It just sounded like a a metal guitar, and I was like, damn, this is actually kind of awesome. Like, it's just a bunch of sounds, but it was still kind of like badass, and I'm like, yeah, now it's like 50 years, so it puts in perspective, that would have been what? 69 or something like before black sabbath kind of like maybe not really before led zeppelin around the same time and i'm just like yeah it's about yeah yeah that terry kath guy like i think even since then i think it was like i listened to this album like five years ago for the first time yeah and i saw something where even Jimi hendrix was like yeah terry kath is awesome so it's like this guitar god looked up to that guy and yeah, I, so it has to be the real deal. Yeah, so so I thought it was cool. So sorry to go off on this long tangent, but no, it was like I don't have as much of a Chicago backstory, so that's good. Yeah, uh, so so I kind of thought it was kind of cool how because even when I was first here in Chicago, it's probably the same as you, or maybe even people listening to this. Hard to say I'm sorry, or like all those ballads, yeah. and it's like this is like two different bands. There's like oh yeah that band of like the late '60s and the '70s. Then there's that band of the 80s, and even like Fleetwood Mac had some of that pop stuff, but then there's this stuff that's before it, and it's like, holy shit, there's like, I guess over 50 years are going to change. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, they were a band for a while, I think, before they really hit their stride as far as commercial success, but I was, you know, not super interested in hearing this record. Yeah, like I guess I wasn't either. But I was it's like, badass. Yeah, like, actually, like I listened to it this morning for like this. It was like the second time, and the first time I listened to it, I was like, "Oh fuck, this is totally cool and unexpected." And then we were talking about reviewing this uh, reissue, or just reviewing the album, you know, for the reissue thing. And uh, so I listened to it again this morning. I was like, "Fuck, why have I not? Like, I'm gonna buy it." on vinyl it's like one of those where you hear it and you're like oh, this would be a great piece to have on vinyl I mean there's some yeah. great fucking guitar solos it's like a really good blues jazz soul fusion yeah there's thing. a lot like, going on there yeah there is man there's there's a lot going on and it's you know it's guitar heavy which a lot of their stuff isn't at least the stuff I know I'm not a big Chicago fan so I don't have the frame of reference that like you have to compare it to their other stuff I know, you know, like you're talking like the Peter Cetera era ballad shit, you know. And that's what I always thought of with Chicago. And they have have some songs I like, but I've never been a big fan. I think I own like a Greatest Hits thing on CD and maybe one of their albums on vinyl. And so I've listened to very little. But I will say that listening to this album a couple times, I... I feel more compelled to dig in a little bit more because obviously there's more to them than, you know, the commercial stuff. And I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of older guys that are hardcore fucking Chicago fans and shit. They're going to listen to this and think I'm a dumbass. (laughs) 
Like, yo, you didn't know about this? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I just didn't. I, uh, but I want to listen to it more. I wish I had more to say about it, <laughs> track yeah. by track, but, you know, it's just one of those that, uh, caught me off guard how much I did really kind of dig it, and... I think I'd heard some of the songs, too, already on The Greatest Hits, like that Beginnings. And I was actually, like, I didn't actually listen to the 50th anniversary reissue because it just came out right. the other day, but I've already got the CD, so I thought, well, it's yeah. the same track, it's so same I'll just, I'll just listen to already what I've got. And unless you're going to, like, listen to it on, like, a real fucking stereo. Yeah, like hi-fi. Like, and, what difference yeah. is it really going to make? Uh, but I was listening to it at work. So uh, the sales manager, this is like this huge director guy that's like in charge of sales worldwide he like came in to ship something and i had that chicago on in the background with that beginning song and he goes oh chicago good song and i was just kind of like oh wow like fucking a right it was kind of like a double take (laughs) too kind of thing like oh yeah this guy even likes chicago you know because i guess that's how i relate to people is music i think we've pretty much ran the uh course of this podcast yeah We've pretty much covered all the uh, albums that we set out to review. We uh, we might have snubbed a few releases, but obviously we talked a lot about the yeah hit we the did. big ones. I guess probably uh, wrap it up from that point because I don't know that there's much more to talk about. Um, yeah, well, thanks for choosing some of the albums you did because, like, I never would have listened to Midland or Midland or Midland otherwise, but I enjoyed it. It was probably my favorite of the yeah. entire, like, five albums that we listened to. Well, hopefully next time I won't be so bossy and controlling and uh, tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like it was one where it was like, oh, all this shit's, like, totally in my wheelhouse. Andy, this is what we're going to review. Hey man, that's like fine, it or not, man. I'm I'm down for trying. And neither one of us really want to listen to this goddamn Tool record, but let's do it anyhow because that's what the people want. You know, I guess uh, the next episode, I don't know. I know September has a uh, Black I don't know Star what we'll Riders, talk about, but there's Black Star Riders, Corn, some more there's rock, a Colt reissue. So the yeah, Colt there's reissue. a lot of rock. There's Brandy Carlisle. There's the High Women. Uh, yeah. Her and Amanda Shires. I'm not, yeah, I'm not hopeful for that, but. I didn't like the song. I at least want to check it out. I didn't like yeah, we'll review it. I like the cover. So far I like the yeah. Fleetwood Mac cover. I didn't like the single. I thought that redesigning women thing was like I don't know. I shouldn't talk too much uh, until we actually review it, but you know. I thought where where the fuck is Delta Burke? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll do this again in a couple weeks and uh review a whole other set of records so until then this was A-Sides cheers